G'day all, and welcome back to another Glory Days podcast episode on the Albury Football Club's Tiger Tales series. This episode, we look at the year of 1995 when a committed and passionate team under coaching legend Paul Spargo took home the Tigers' 12th Premiership. Again, a huge thanks to the Joss family for making it all possible. Spargs was he was tough, but also very fair. I think he he, he understood that um, you know we're not getting paid thousands of dollars to play footy, and, and you're also working. So there, yeah. there was a, there was more care. And it's, sometimes Spargs would go the other way after a big loss. You think you're going to get belted at training, and, and he'd pull the beers out on you know have a couple of beers and talk through it. So yeah. you know he's, psychologically he handled um, the players very well. And there was such an eclectic. Uh, group of blokes pulled together in that year. I know a couple of them probably came the year before or a couple of years before, but the Wagga boys, you had Mick Eye, uh, Kenny Howe, Jezza, DC, and then you got Pagey sort of coming across from Wagga. And then from Benalla, you had Ricky Allen, uh, albeit he'd only been there a year or two, myself, and then Anthony Fobester. And then you had Lavington with Paul Hallandale and Trav McLean. I mean, Sparks managed to pull that two of those great talent and then you had the sort of locals of Peter Wilson, Stephen Clark, Ducky, Kel, Spargs, Darren Howard from Osborne. Yep. So for Spargs and, and Darren Holmes and you know the Aubrey Football Club to pull all those blokes together and there were some lunatics. Best thing about it, like we, we went on big money, like we Aubrey didn't have the you know the backing they probably have now and, and, and it's obviously salary cap too but what we had was this great group of blokes and Corey Whitaker was in there too he was uh, a Denny boy had this sort of eclectic group of blokes who just loved to have a good time but somehow Sparks I think found decent blokes there was no you know we'd all stick together you know after the game on a Saturday night was pretty much put your put your player payments back over the bar we'd be kick it on to midnight and then we would all all go out as a team that's what I remember just a phenomenal group of blokes and you don't catch up enough, but when you do, you sort of, uh, you know, you go back to those times and it was, it was a lot of fun. He's a unique individual. For mine, like I reckon, and this is only my interpretation, like when Sparks first come, we were, we were ordinary in 93 and then he got us up going in 94, but he was straight out of the system. He'd just come off Robert Walls, Brisbane, intense. Like you could see a lot of John Kennedy, North Melbourne in him and stuff like that. You know, that I reckon in 95, there was a bit of a shift with Spargs in regards to, it wasn't for everyone. He identified it. My example is like before a game or whatever, he could come over to a Peter Wilson or a Phoebe and he'd actually crack a joke with them because that was their way. Go to a, a Hodgie or a Finner and very intellectual, very smart, thought about it. He could work the room perfectly to every individual and I reckon that was the biggest shift that I've seen. Other blokes were a sponge and take it up, but he also knew, right, I'm gonna work the room here individually. You know, he, but he was smart enough to identify that and I reckon there was a big shift from that in 94 to 95. That was Andrew Harrison and Dale Carroll, who, like many others, were drawn to Tigerland by the powers and passion of coach Paul Spargo, who would mould a group of young men into a powerful force. They trained hard, bloody hard. They played hard, on and off the field. They epitomised the Tiger of old. They broke a 10-year premiership drought in an epic grand final. I hope you enjoy Tiger Tales 1995, 100 Reasons to Celebrate.
1995 was a momentous year for the Albury Football Club. It was their 100th year of playing in the Ovens of Murray Football League. In that time, the club had won 11 senior premierships, with the most recent, 1985. He goes for the kick. It's a long kick and it's up to Fisher. Can't handle it. Taking this. That's a goal. There's a siren. And the Albury Tigers have run out winners by three points. Since then, the Tigers had only tasted success in one finals match out of six played in. The groundwork had been laid for something special ahead of the 100th year. The return of Paul Spargo to coach had reignited the Tigers on and off the field with his appointment at the time having an immediate impact as Premiership captain Brian Kelly explains. He's certainly the professionalism that he brought, you know, to the club and I'm probably going to say even to the league. Like, we'd been through a few lean times. I remember when he was announced as coach from, it would have been late 93, we would have had a, um, I'll put in inverted commas, a, a meet the coach day, what you thought would just be rock up a few beers and meet the coach. But I remember coming away from that meeting in late 93 and, you knew exactly what was going to be expected of you, one, from training, but also what you're expected to do from a training perspective outside of training. And, you know, I remember walking away from that meeting. You had your um, your program that you were expected to do before you got to pre-season. Um, you had groups from for weights and look out if you didn't turn up for one of those. You had a playbook, 60 pages long with all our drills and how we're going to set up and all that type of stuff. But it was also just the, the small stuff you look at. On the training track, you know, he had rules. There was there's no jewellery, no watches. It was pretty smart how he went about it because it, it didn't matter if one person turned up. Everybody had the penalties. So And those penalties were, you know, it could have been another half an hour fart leg running at the end of training after you'd done two hours of running. So it was pretty brutal, but the players then drove that. Any person that come out of the train dreams on the track, if someone did come out, you'd try and get it. So before Sparks saw it and say, just get that off. And Pizzle, uh, Robert Bruce did try and um, wear some sunglasses um, one pre-season. And they were probably aviators too, no one Pizzle. Yeah, so that didn't go down well. If you ask Pizzle, he said he was before his time. They all wear, you know, eye protection and that these days. But ramifications if you... If you um, come out with any jewellery or watches on. I don't think you wanted anybody knowing how long we'd been training for, to be honest. Spargo had began his career at Albury, progressing through the junior ranks and into senior ranks at a rapid rate, debuting in 1983, age 16. Two years later, he debuted for North Melbourne against Footscray at the MCG in a semi-final under coaching legend John Kanga Kennedy. Spargo played 81 games at North Melbourne and nine for Brisbane Bears before being lured home to coach Aubrey in 1994, where his father Bob had coached between 1968 and 1970. It is the only occurrence in Aubrey Football Club history that a father and a son have coached the club at senior level. Bob Spargo played 80 games with Footscray, where his father, Bob Senior, had also played 65 games and another two at Melbourne. Paul's son, Charlie, is a current player at Melbourne and he played in the Demons' drought-breaking 2021 Premiership. The strong family connection with Aubrey doesn't end there, with Paul's father-in-law, Leon Payne, being an Aubrey Tigers Team of the Century member and part of the 1956 Aubrey Premiership side under Jack Jones. 13 players from the losing 1994 preliminary final side would remain and play on grand final day. In 1995, this formed the nucleus of a strong side, bolstered by eight very handy recruits. Let's take a look 
how it all panned out. Paul Spargo and the recruiting team of Terry Duffy and Darren Holmes moved quickly on improving the list that had got to a preliminary final. The only loss from the 1994 side was rover Tim Scott, who had been drafted to the Sydney Swans following back-to-back Morris medals in 93 and 94. Top of the recruiting list was Turvey Park ruckman Ken Howe, who had played in six grand finals with Turvey Park, winning three, as well as a premiership with St Mary's in Darwin. Howe explains how he ended up at Albury. Basically, I played from 88 to 94 at Turvey, played with good mate Jezza Masterson. He came down at the end of 93, played yep. the 94 season with Albury Tigers. I played about three losing grand finals in a row. At uh, end of 90, sorry, 93, I went to Darwin, played footy up there and had another season when I come back at Turvey and I just I was a bit restless. I'd, I'd left the, the force. Darren Holmes rang me up and said they're after a ruckman. Obviously, there was a Jezza connection. I, I drove down and met Spargo. He wanted to meet me. And basically said, look, uh, we got three ruckmen. I've heard you played rep up in the RFL. You dictate if you want to play seconds, seconds or first here. And that yeah. was that was the plain language. And I sort of like going, you know, not that I thought I was anything special, but it's sort of like a bit of reality check, just treated you like, you know, and I went, well, I w- I'm number one, I want to play seniors. So I moved down to Albury in October. Yeah, wanted to challenge myself at a higher level. And also, you know, I played those O&M pre-season comps, just got a little sniff that the Victorians – Liked themselves a little bit better. Looked down at us, New South Welshmen. Yeah, just, just to, I don't know, just to have a crack, do something different. On recommendation from Ken Howe, the Tigers were able to sign up Michael Buchanan, a tough rover from Coolerman who had spent two years on the Sydney Swans list. Buchanan explains how he came to Albury. I was playing at Coolum at the time, and that was around the 94 season. And yeah, I was probably at a stage, I was in a little bit of a rut and probably needed more of a challenge. So, there were some local boys playing at Aubrey at the time, Pagey, who I'd played a lot of junior football with, uh, with and against, Jezza Masterson and also Kenny Howe. So they basically got on to me, Terry Duffy as well. So I met with those guys, uh, sat with Spargs in the um, in the gym and I just loved the way he, he, he was so passionate and, you know, explained what was what the club was about and the history of the club as well. And it was 100 years centenary that year. Yeah, I jumped on board, mate, and, and come on down. So yep. and, and didn't regret it for that matter. Not really big bucks or anything like that? Just no, mate. I, I actually come and spoke with Lavi. Well, um, the boys come up to Wagga one time and had a yarn with those and they probably offered me a lot more money. But after speaking with Paul and obviously knew some of the guys there, I, I was all about playing a grand final and, yep. and lost, but I hadn't played in a premiership. So... That particular year, I loved what he was about and the boys, particularly Jez, had been there the year before So, and obviously Pagey, so yep. really rated the club. So, yeah, so I jumped on board and and uh, and obviously never regretted it. Come down uh, a little bit, carrying a little bit of weight. Someone said I looked like the B- Bulgarian weightlifter from my legs were sort of rubbing together, but I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't fit, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> But I soon worked out that you know if you want to if you want to play senior football at that club you had you had to do the hard work. I actually started in the second group of running, and I got the shoots with that. So I just worked my butt off and finally got to the up into the uh, number one running group. And then yeah, just obviously knew what was required then from from Paul and and the other blokes at the club. So yeah, I got myself fit pretty quickly. With Paul, there was no no shortcuts. You know, if you didn't go c- completely through to the cone, there were penalties for everyone. So if someone mucked up, the whole t- the whole squad had to do it. So there was a big emphasis on hard work, no cheating, and everyone was reliable on one another to keep pushing each other through. So yeah. Yeah, it was full on. Um, it was a pretty hot summer, that one as well. And particularly the, the old monument, we used to get up there a bit as well, and that certainly sorted a, a lot of footballers out. Yeah, I would have rated as probably as 
similar to the to the Swans one, which I done in well '90 was the pre-season I done up there. Yeah, it was as tough as that. There's no worries about it. The Tigers also picked up disgruntled Lavington pair Paul Hallandale and Travis McLean, while Wangaratta Rovers' 1994 Premiership player Anthony Fobister also landed at the sports ground. But other players Rick Allen and Andrew Harrison were also in ties to the Albury Sports Ground, with Harrison's an interesting journey, as he explains. The reason I got there was Paul Spargo. My relationship with him started when we were both at the Brisbane Bears in 1993. I was good mates with a bloke that was boarding with him, Nathan Chapman. Uh, sorry, number two draft pick in 91 or 92. Yep. So I'd end up around Sparks and Kate's place, particularly in the pre-season. And after I got delisted from Brisbane at the end of 93, I was just down at Richmond, did a full pre-season, full season, did the second pre-season. I'd gone from loving uh, the new coach in Peter Schwartz who was around at the time, got into pre-season and announced Kevin Morris as the coach. And Kevin Morris would just remind me of Robert Walls. It was that old school Barassi type. Just That just didn't fit with me. So Spargs rang me out of the blue and said, mate, all of a sudden um, took off from Richmond and landed with Spargs at Albury. So very controversial for a Benalla boy to, you know, growing up playing for Benalla. I played Benalla seniors when I was 15 in the ovens of Murray. Then to go away to Brisbane, you know, the natural thing would have been if you're going to come back, you'll you'll go and play at Benalla, particularly in, when they're in the Ovens of Murray League and struggling as well. So um wasn't, uh, and I don't think they even knew that I was looking to, to get out of um, playing at Richmond. Uh, it was just purely a year off, as Barg said, get you back into the system and uh, start enjoying your footy again. The final part of the recruiting was signing Osborne Speedster and Premiership star Darren Howard as well as a young ruckman attending university in Albury, Lee Newton from King Valley in the Ovens and King League. The tough pre-season paid dividends with the Tigers running out easy winners of the 16-team GIO Australia Cup, crushing Wodonga in the final 2011-131 to 5-6-36. With four of the recruits, Ken Howe, Michael Buchanan, Travis McLean and Anthony Fobister all prominent. Dale Carroll said it may have been a pre-season final, but the message from it was powerful. We used to do this pre-season comp. So O&M clubs would play against O&M clubs. Wagga sides would come down and everything like that. Coincidentally, that year in 95, we played Wodonga Bulldogs at Martin Park in the final of the pre-season comp. And I always remember this one contest. Ducky, big bull, he's coming one way, high ball. Bucket, Stephen Clark's coming the other way. Both charging each other. Bucket's like a whippet. Ducky's like a bull. And they just completely smashed each other. <laughs> Disregard. But they were just that focused and set on. And just, I reckon that set the tone and the expectation just for 95. Like that was, that's it. This is what we're about. This is how we're going to go about it. You sort of went, well, I know I went, you know what? Fuck, I want to be a part of this. And I also know he's got me back. Nothing was said and there was nothing, but that was nearly the mantra. It was like, I've got your back no matter what, and this is what I'm going to do no matter what. And it was just coincidental. We played them in the pre-season, and that's when that happened, and then we ended up playing them in the grand final that year. It was just, that's how it went for the year for me pretty well. The pre-season comp was made up of the 11 Ovens and Murray Football League clubs, plus reigning ACT Premiers Ainsley, along with four Riverina Football League clubs, Turvey Park, Wagga Tigers, Coolerman and North Wagga. Wagga were led by Essendon legend Terry Danaher, Coolerman by 1985 Aubrey Premiership coach Russell Campbell 
and Norfogger by Dick Kerry, the brother of North Melbourne star Wayne Kerry. One player to miss the pre-season was Mark Geray. Pre-season, um, 95, was at the Cactus Bar out in the beer garden there and they used to have these old tables which were about six foot wide, um, round and um, all laminate and chipboard, but they'd all sort of weathered off and one of them was about three quarters off, so I peeled it off and I've thrown it across the beer garden, landed it at Bucket's feet. Sort of looked away, chatting to the boys, and then out of the corner of my eye, I've looked over and Bucket's come charging at me with both arms carrying this big tabletop, and he's just frisbeed it straight at me a million miles an hour. I've lifted up sort of my leg, straight into my leg, and then, uh, yeah, I looked down and sort of the leg had just peeled open below my knee, and, oh. yeah, all the guys were there, and they're pouring vodka and bourbons on it. Oh, yeah, no, you're all right. And I was like, oh, no, I think I better get to emergency. And, yeah, so I went there and I think I got about 22 stitches inside and out of it. About a week later, I went to get it checked and it was all infected and gangrene because it was all laminate and and oh. chip when they did it. So, yeah, the old doc in Corrie just sliced me back open, pulling out all this chipboard and old laminate in there. And then you know, I had to strap it, never healed, and I had to strap it when I was playing and training most of the year. And then it was about July after one game, I was taking the tape off and I looked down and there was about a size of like a little five or ten cent piece of laminate sticking out the leg. Oh. And Doc came down, he got that out and cleared up after that. So <laughs> <laughs> I missed all pre-season. I think the first game was here round one. It's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> I think the previous year he, he broke one of the two boys' legs Falling, wrestling on the way down the stairs and I, I know he did his ankle one time jumping out of a window or something and um, missed a game and he told Sparks he heard it that heard it in the last quarter but um, yeah <laughs> he, he was involved in plenty of those don't worry Round one for Aubrey was a night game away to Benalla with several stars missing including defenders Brian Kelly Jeff Duck and Stephen Clark. The Tigers hammered the Demons by 154 points with Jamie Stevenson booting nine goals and five each to Travis McLean and Ricky Allen. 18 of the 28 goals came in the second half with Glenn Page and Graham Turlick dominating. Round two, and it was a blockbuster with Wangaratta Rovers defending a 36-game winning streak and the last two premierships. After two hours of tough, grinding football on a heavy track, the Tigers achieved the near impossible, defeating the mighty Hawks in an epic contest that was not decided until the last two quarter goals from Matt Fowler sealed a 15-point victory in front of a massive crowd. An estimated 1,000 Tiger supporters lined the entry to the club rooms to cheer their players off the field and into a raucous rendition of the Tigers theme song. Peter Wilson, Glenn Page, Dale Carroll and Andrew Harrison were the best of a fine performance. Kenny Howe remembers a funny yarn from that particular game. It was a big game, Rovers, 36 games undefeated, including 2-0, and was close all day. And just before three-quarter time, a boundary throw in over on the visitor's side in front of the grandstand. Won the tap and I'm trying to swoop on my own ball. You know, I've copped one. Bit of an uppercut into the into the snoz and blood coming out, you know, boundary throw in again. And it was a basically three-quarter time and, you know, knocked my mouth guard out. And I asked, I was a little concussed probably. I remember asking Finna, who the F did that? And then I got warned by the umpire for swearing. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, mate. Look at me, look at me nose. Three-quarter time. Finna didn't know. 
Yeah, so Spargo is revving us up for the final quarter, and I was just fuming, and I was listening to Spargo, but it wasn't going in. I was just going, "Who, who got me? Who got me? I'm, I'm, I'm fuming. I'm stewing away, you know." Anyway, as that huddle broke, I grabbed Finn by both of his, you know, front of his jumper with both hands, and going, "Who hit me? Who hit me? Tell me, tell me." It was Tossel. Yeah, it was, it was Tossel. Tossel. We go back in the centre bounce, and I'm going, I see Tossel talking, you know, you talk to your rovers, what you're doing, he's talking talking to his huddle. And I come over, I just walk over, he's talking to me, and I said, I know what you did. If you're going to eat the ball this quarter, knock your effing teeth out. Anyway, Tossel replied with a bewildered look of innocence, I would say, and go, it wasn't me. I just went, yeah, whatever, mate. <laughs> So that quarter, he didn't touch the ball and he kept his teeth. We got, we got on top and had a great win. So I'm not saying that had an impact on the game, but he was a little bit wary of who was around him every time the ball was near him. So I was basically sweating on his every move. But <laughs> 10 years later, at our 95, you know, whatever it was, it must have been 2005, we're, having, we're talking about this incident and Finner informs me, he goes, oh, I don't know, I don't know who hit Kenny, he just... I just threw Tossel's name out there to get me, get him off me back. <laughs> He's like grabbing me like, you know, doing the Spargo crazy eyes. Anyway, all in the spirit of the game, hey? Round three was another away game and another night game, with the Tigers, despite inaccuracy, too strong for Lavington, winning by 42 points. The game featured the return from injury of skipper Brian Kelly and Jeff Duck. Recruits Darren Howard and Kenny Howe impressed with big games for the Tigers. With Jamie Stevenson out injured, Darren Harris was promoted from the twos for the home game against undefeated Yarrawonga and responded in magnificent fashion, booting 10 goals after having kicked 26 goals in his three second games that year. The 148-point thrashing earmarked the Tigers in most circles as the team to beat. Darren Howard, four goals, Anthony Phobos to four, Matty Fowler, Travis McLean, three, and Graham Turlick, three, all filled their boots with Kenny Howe and Paul Hallandale dominating. A crowd of over 3,000 was on hand to watch old rivals Wodonga host the rampant Tigers. Wodonga had eliminated Aubrey in the previous year's final series. Revenge was delivered with a dazzling eight-goal first quarter putting the game to bed. Darren Harris with seven goals and Matt Fowler four dominated up forward while Glenn Page and Travis McLean starred in the midfield. Andrew Harrison kept star Wodonga forward Brenton Cooper to just four goals. Cooper had been averaging nine goals a game across the first four games. Jeremy Masterson was back in the seniors for the home game against Coral Rubberglen. That got ugly on and off the field when the Roos 1994 Morris medalist Juice Kingston was reported late in the first quarter for striking Tigers Andrew Harrison. As Harrison lay motionless on the ground, Kingston was reported and sent off with a yellow card. As Kingston hobbled off the ground, Tigers coach Paul Spargo left his coach's box to exchange words with Kingston. Spectators and officials got tangled up in the quarter-time scuffle after players from both sides wrestled in the middle of the ground as the quarter-time siren sounded as hundreds of supporters from both teams flooded the ground. Andrew Harrison recalls the incident. I guess coming from the AFL system, you're used to sort of picking blokes off and doing it fairly, right? Hip and shoulder, but there was a lot of that sort of stuff that went on and you always felt fairly safe at this particular incident. It was near the end of the first quarter, I think, down the Botanical Gardens end of the ground at Albury. And Pagey was getting tagged by uh, Juice Kingston. There was the old, you know, you'd have the huddle from the kick out. Pagey took off and I thought, oh, no worries, I'll pick this Juice Kingston off. 
and free him up so, you know, Kel can spot Pagey. I literally just looked at him and he just went whack. Hit me sw- uh, square in the in the nose and knocked me to the ground. And, yeah, I, was, I wasn't knocked out, but I was seeing stars and I was on the ground, yeah. obviously blood pouring out of my nose. And, and then I think that that's when the siren went. I think Juice Kingston got sent off. What went from, a, you know, a whack to me, all of a sudden it was all on it. Quarter time, there was, you know, I don't know, there was spectators involved. Sparks was having a scrap with, I think, Put O'Donoghue, I think was maybe the coach or just played for him at the yeah. time. Uh, so it was pretty full on. And I was, I was like, bloody hell, this oven smoke footy's pretty tough. That, that was the background to it. But um, we looked after Juice. He was a good fella. Yeah, I went into the tribunal. Uh, Merv King was uh, representing me and Albury Footy Club. But we had a good chat to him before and said, don't worry, mate, we'll get you off. Probably should have got two or three. It was happy days and he appreciated the support. And yeah, that's the way we got him off. Good old Juice. All that hoo-ha at quarter time for nothing then. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Especially over me, Robbie. After the brawling finished, Aubrey pulled away in the second half to win by 19 points. Glenn Page, Michael Buchanan, Ken Howe, Dale Carroll and Andrew Harrison were the Tigers' best. The following week was a bye for the interleague clash with the Ovens and Murray taking on the Bendigo Football League at the Wangaratta Showgrounds. In a tough and rugged encounter, the Ovens and Murray prevailed by 8 points, 11-10 to 9-14, with Glenn Page and Matt Fowler amongst the best. Michael Buchanan and Kenny Howe were Aubrey's other representatives. It was back to the same venue for round seven when a strong Tigers team that included the return of Jamie Stevenson, his first after injuring a hamstring in round two, and Ricky Allen took on Wangaratta. Michael Buchanan missed with a virus while Jeremy Masterson was omitted. The Tigers got the points after Wangaratta had led for most of the first half. A good third quarter was the difference for Aubrey with Stuart Hodson, Glenn Page and Brian Kelly best over the four quarters, while Fobuser was effective up forward with three goals and Stevenson too. Brian Kelly spoke about Fobuser, a very unique character. Anthony Fobuser, I won't say rare unit, that's probably not the best, but he's a bit eccentric. He's, like everybody was too scared to step out. Oh, I was, I know, like out of line or anything, but Fob could just get away with a bit of extra stuff. I remember one, Spargs played a game and... I remember one of the the um, you know headlines in the paper was that he was a you know a Ferrari in a car yard full of VWs or something. So we've played Raiders at Raiders and it couldn't have even been a final or something. And Phobes has decided to go and get a Ferrari hat for Sparks and then present it to him after the game like just just rare stuff like that. He used to ride his skateboard to to footy training. I think he used to live up like over in West Aubrey. And you'd yep. see him coming down Padman Hill, coming down there to training. I remember watching him come down one day and then he'd come down the sports ground and he's got a beer box under his arm. I'm thinking, what's going on? But he just put his gear in his in a beer box and carry it down. And after we won one of the grand finals, he's we're up at the at the sports ground and you see him walking off over the sports ground with a skateboard under his arm. Then next thing you see him coming down the Aubrey the slide on his skateboard, the pool. The pool's shut. He somehow he's thrown over the fence, got up over the fence and got on the slide and down the slide he goes. Just Phobes, just what Phobes did. Had this vertical leap on him. Yeah, could a really good player and good fun to have around the group too. Next up was a Super Sunday sports ground stoush with Crosstown rivals North Aubrey and boy, oh boy, what a day's entertainment. The 4,000-strong crowd was delivered. An upset was brewing with North Aubrey leading in the second term when at the 10-minute mark, an all-in brawl erupted after Tigers speedster Darren Howard was flattened and stretched off. Hopper's Dean Lupson was reported and sent off for 15 minutes 
while Tigers Andrew Harrison was in the wars again. This was unbelievable. I don't know whether I was the target. We were just unlucky. And oh, I think it and it was just another scenario where Trav McLean was bouncing down the wing as he liked to do, um, take his two or three bounces. And, you know, Ben Jones was in hot position. I was literally uh, seeing stars big time this time, probably more so than the Juice Kingston. But I just remember at the time just going, bloody hell, this is, I'm never ever going to try and pick someone off. <laughs> I don't think I ever did. In in close proximity, a couple of weeks, and, and Ben Jones got four weeks, I think, for it. I remember yeah. seeing the vision and going, shit, he whacked me. He whacked me pretty hard. There was a big all-in brawl, I, I remember, at the time. And oh, yeah, I remember looking down the ground. Here was Dale Carroll getting sort of speed tackled from the... <laughs> it looked like from the second story. And uh, yeah, it was one of those games. You just went, geez, it was pretty ugly. Yeah, there was real hate. And I, I think Dean Lupson... Albert from oh, I didn't know the bloke, but off the field, reckon terrific bloke. But he he had white live line fever. He was just going to belt someone wherever he yeah. wherever he could, which you, you don't see now. Which is a uh, I, I didn't have fond memories of the game. I think we won. It was probably the only positive out of it. I'd gone, geez, this ovens Murray footy's pretty tough. <laughs> so never again, Robbie. <laughs> oh, never, never again. The halftime siren sounded with North Aubrey leading by 19 points as both club presidents exchanged heated words as the local derby had erupted. The atmosphere at halftime was electric. According to Tiger Rover, Michael Buchanan, things could have got out of hand. North were a fair side that year as well. They had uh, Dean Lupson play at the footy club and Dean was suffered a bit of white line fever. Like He's a good bloke. I got to know him years later and he's a good fella. Get him on the ground. He's super competitive and he wants to win at all costs, basically. So I remember that game, first centre bounce, I think it was. I had these fingers going in my eyes and then I thought, what the hell's going on here? And it was Dino. So I let, let one go and then he let a couple go. Man, I think he split my chin open. So he said, I said, he's a pretty tough customer. But anyway, what happened was... Darren Howard got hit basically going for the 40 and it was a cheap shot basically from Dean. So a big massive blue erupted. Most blokes were into it, having a go. And then this this continued on for a little while. And then I think it was at half time, you know, this rot was going on, carrying on. We weren't playing footy either side. And then Paul got us in and I think you were behind too. We were by three goals, 18 yeah. points. So Paul he picked out a few guys and said, if any of this crap starts again, we're gonna go straight for Martin Cross uh, Jr. And then, yeah, then, then basically that happened. Another blue started, and then a few boys come in and menstruated with poor old Marty, who got flattened basically. So, so then what happened was then that that, that cut out all all the bull dust. By what the coach saying, right, we're going to target him, and if we do that, obviously the coach is going to stop all the other stuff going on around the ground. Because so, the North Albury coach was the father. That's correct, Marty Cross y- senior. senior, absolute legend, absolute legend. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So I felt sorry for young Marty because he probably wasn't really throwing any cut lunches or anything, but. No. But, but that's what happened, and uh, it sort of stopped all the shenanigans. After halftime, Aubrey completely took over with some of its best football of the season, blitzing North Aubrey with a ferocious attack on the ball as they added eight goals to one and then add the first two goals of the last quarter to extend the lead at one stage to 49 points. Ken Howe was best on ground with great alloys in Mark Duray, Manny Edmonds four goals, Travis McLean three, Jamie Stevenson kick five and Brian Kelly superb down back. Three North Aubrey players were cited with Dean Lupson getting a five week suspension. For the third time in four rounds, Aubrey trailed at half time in its trip to Myrtleford with the local lads serving it up to the Tigers before a brilliant eight-gold third quarter ensured the Tigers remained unbeaten after nine rounds. Darren Harris kicked five with Glenn Page, Ken Howell and Anthony Fobister, others to shine. 
The long weekend was a huge few days for the Oven to Murray rep side with a trip to Taralgon for a Saturday clash against Gippsland, Latrobe Valley Football League and then club football on the Monday. The Ovens of Murray were beaten by 28 points in wet and heavy conditions. Glenn Page, Matt Fowler and Ken Howe were the Tigers to play. As luck would have it, Aubrey had the bye on the Monday. It was first, first, second in round 11 when Aubrey hosted Wodonga Raiders. The Tigers were without Ken Howe and Matt Fowler who were representing New South Wales against the VFA at the MCG in the curtain raiser game to the Victoria versus South Australia State of Origin Clash, famous for the pre-game farewell lap of honour by the great Teddy Whitten. For the record, the VFA smashed New South Wales by 93 points. A healthy crowd of over 3,000 watched Raiders kick the first three goals and dictate terms to set up another half-time deficit for the Tigers. Once again though, it was Aubrey at its best in the second half as they booted nine of the last 10 goals to win by 30 points. Brian Kelly, Steve Clark and Corey Whittaker were outstanding while Darren Harris booted six goals. Dale Carroll spoke of the Tigers' ability to come from behind. That year was our 100th year in the O&M. That was ticking in the background. Yeah, a significant year for the club. But also just remember... Yeah, you know, like the hill would start a chant up because we usually come from behind. We never blew sights away. Yeah, you know, three-quarter time or into that last quarter and the chant would start up on the hill, Aubrey, Aubrey, things like that. I remember that. And then you'd get into the rooms afterwards and they'd be chockers and, and Reedy would do his whole thing, Yeah, you know, going through the goal kickers or this or that. And he'd put his funny spin on it and everything else like that. But then he, if he got you in the crosshairs... And you weren't, that's how Reedy rolled. But it was funny. Oh, they thrived on it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Reedy loved it too. The Tigers' home game against Benalla was also the 100th year in the Ovens and Murray League celebration weekend. The top versus bottom game finished as expected, with the 150-point win being highlighted by a 54-possession game from Glenn Page and eight goals to Darren Harris before the big fella tore a calf. A trip to Wangaratta Rovers without key forwards Jamie Stevenson and Darren Harris was to be a huge test at a venue Aubrey had not won at for nine years. The curse was broken with the Tigers playing one of their best four quarters of the year to win by 40 points with Ken Howe and Michael Buchanan dominating. Anthony Fobister and Matt Fowler both kicked three goals. Winter had well and truly set in with a very heavy Aubrey sports ground greeting Lavington, who showed great tenacity and fight to see scores level late in the last term. However, late goals by Ricky Allen and Matt Fowler secured a 12-point Tiger victory. Paul Hallandar was outstanding against his old side, while Jeremy Masterson, fresh from a recent prank by his teammates, recovered to dominate, as Kenny Howe elaborates on the prank. Finners and Clarkey's place. I'm not sure Darren Howe was living there too, but there was myself, Jazza, Clarkey, Finner, and a couple of others. I think Stewie Thompson, Chalk, Robert Chalker. Mick I there? Mick I was there. Did I miss him? It's sort of standard. We're all always there. <laughs> Background story. Jezza and uh, Robert Pizzle Bruce, the year before, end of 94, they're going to resurface Aubrey Tigers ground. They challenged themselves to a drag race on the on the Aubrey Sports ground. Total sacrilege. Jez has crashed his car into the point post before the race started. So 
Pizzle is the uh, the official uh, Aubrey Sports Ground drag racing champion forevermore by default. Anyway, we're at Clarkie's and Finner's place on a Sunday from memory. Yeah, all us guys are there. We ran out of beer. We're contemplating continuing or stopping having a drink. Jez wanted to drive to go to the bottle shop and being the responsible types we are, we said, no, we, we can't allow this. While he's about the back answering Mother Nature's call, we just put our heads together and going, well, I don't know, there was a cactus sitting there. I don't know whose idea, but Clarkie put the cactus under Jez's seat cover and then when he came out, competitive nature, all right, we drew on that and said, all right, why don't we have a race to our cars and see gets to the bottle shop first? It was never going to happen and uh, we've all raced to the... You know, the front window through the blinds looking out. Jezza goes, uh, you know, he's, he's answered the, the bait, uh, the taunt, raced to his car to get the carton. You just see his head hit the roof, arms go up everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, he's jumping around and then he's out beside the car with his pants down, pulling all the uh, cacti out of his butt. The Tigers vacated their muddy home ground at the sports ground for training leading into the Arawonga trip by using the Walbundry ground, utilising the Fowler connection to both clubs. Aubrey went into the game without Glenn Page and Ken Howe, who were both representing the VCFL against the Victorian amateurs in Melbourne. Yarrawonga coach Peter Foster was determined to avoid a repeat hammering from the previous meeting in round four. From the moment Aubrey kicked eight goals to, to nothing in the first quarter, the game was over. If you thought it couldn't get any worse for the Pigeons and their coach Peter Foster, think again because it did in the 93-point loss. Late in the third quarter, Foster, a veteran of 14 years at Footscray, a renowned hard man of the VFL, was stretched off the ground unconscious after a collision with Tigers Jeremy Masterson. Michael Buchanan takes up the story. We went down to Yarrawonga, played them early in the year and we sort of won fairly easily. Peter Foster was coaching Yarrawonga that particular year and he was pretty dirty that we'd give him a good old belting at home. So when we when we came down to Yarra, the mood was a little bit different down there. So anyway, he was he was getting around a little bit that day, gobbling off, and he had Rick Kennedy actually running for him that day too. At foot, they both had a fair bit to say that day. I don't know what particular core it was, but Peter Foster had the run of the football. Jeremy Marston was coming the other way. And then Peter sort of went down to get it and he sort of come back up and Jezza just gave him the best shirt front I've ever seen in my life. And he was knocked out cold. I was sort of first one on the scene and I turned to Jezza and I said, I think you've killed him. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, mate. He was, yeah, he was, as I said, it was the perfect shirt front you've ever seen in your life. Poor old Peter, he was yeah, he was gone, he was knocked out. And yeah, carted off. And I think for some time, Jezza was a little bit concerned as well. So, but... Ah, gee, it was just perfect timing and I'll never forget it. To Jez's credit, he went up to the clubhouse after the game and I think he actually rang Foster's, Foster got his wife on the phone to apologise. He told him to hit hit the road, basically. So right. so anyway, he tried to, but uh, yeah, so yeah, he wasn't happy. But, but old Pete had a tough year against Aubrey. He did, particularly that time anyway. Yeah, and it, for it to make all those football legends, yeah, we couldn't believe it. Right in front of his mate, oh, Rick Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I think up at, at the footy club, Yarra's club rooms, some of them kept playing it on the video, which is probably not a good thing oh. to be doing. Anyway, they told him to turn it off, yeah. So yes. but they kept replying it apparently. But uh, and funny you say it, after Jezza did that, he, he ended up with this lump on the side of his arm. And we used to call him Dim Sim arm. And over the years this thing seems to be growing. So as I said to Kenny, he looks like a hamburger for a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> Just timed but perfectly really for a hip and shoulder. Yeah. 
The Tigers enjoyed the round 16 bye and prepared for the trip to Korowa, which would be Jeff Duck's 200th game and Peter Wilson's 150th. Captain Brian Kelly was out injured along with key forwards Harris and Stevenson. Page and Howe were back from VCFL duties and Ricky Allen returned from injury. Again, the Tigers found themselves behind at half-time by 16 points. However, brilliant third quarters from Stewie Hodson and Darren Howard, with three goals each for that quarter, turned the tables. Mark Jaray starred against his old team as the Tigers made it 15 in a row with the 24-point win. On paper, the round 18 home win by 88 points over Wangaratta looked pretty regulation. It wasn't, though, in the second quarter when Aubrey were kept to just one point. A big lift in the second half resulted in 14 goals to two with Dale Carroll, Mark Jaray, Ken Howe and Matt Fowler best. A crowd of over 2,500 were on hand at Button Park with memories of the Round 8 bout fresh in everyone's minds. The fireworks were put on hold, with the only fire coming from the Tigers, producing a brilliant eight goals to nothing first quarter. A Ken Howe, a rucking masterclass, some Darren Harris and Matt Fowler brilliance up forward, and the midfield dominance of Glenn Page, Stu Hodson and Mark Duray had Aubrey win by 52 points. Speaking of Howe, let's get him to reflect back on a pre-season stoush. Finner and Clarkie, as usual. Uh, now, they were wrestling and just having a bit of, you know, Asked to leave and uh, in one door, and without, within a minute, they're back, you know, back through the other door. And there was an intoxicated bouncer who was off duty that just obviously had a gripe against uh, Aubrey boys. But um, he he started screaming and yelling at yelling at uh, them to leave. And then next time I turn around, he's jumped at me, wrapped around my waist, trying to claw my eyes out. And I'm going, what? Well, we did a bit of preseason box PCYCs for me, and I wasn't, you know, a fighter as such, but I got the right, a good left-right combination. He was backpedalling with a couple of split eyebrows. And anyway, he still kept coming at me. Spargo's just in the corner, sipping on a beer, just watching it. What, what's your problem? And he come at me again, and I just had it cocked back. Like, and he just come at me, and I just went bang, give it everything, and it hit him in the mush. And the, he just went back on the stool, landed, and go on. Anyway, Jezra and Mikai come flying in, uh-huh. and they start giving him a few henpecks. I don't know what, something just clicked inside me, and I went, that's my kill. You leave it alone. I grabbed them by the collar and said, get out of it, and started putting my dukes up. And he was still groggy, this bloke. And, uh, and Spargo's going, Kenny, what? He goes, that's enough. It was just switched off again. Um, he'd already had us into that mode where he could switch us on and off, but he just switched me off that time and the other bloke so, switched me on. So, so what, was the, what was the backlash of that? Oh, yeah, they, well, we had a crisis meeting the next day at Albury Sports Ground. Clarky, myself, Jazza, Mikai, all those that were there. <laughs> Uh, we're told to pull our heads in. Result of the meeting, Clark is given a one-year ban from Sodens. Okay, how? Lifetime ban. Spargo said, you got to eat humble pie. They're a major sponsor. We're going to go down to Sodens now and we're going to apologise to this bloke for the night before and we don't want to lose uh, a major sponsor. And it was a bit embarrassing for the for the footy club as Sodens had two sponsored players and they were Stephen Clark and Ken Howe. So we had to apologise. Uh, I walk in last. All, the boys are on a circle. This bloke's you know, strutting around with a tight singlet on and he's just going like, yeah, you blokes all attack me, I'm going to get you one by one. And I just, like what Spargo told me, just take the medicine, Kenny. And I went, nah, there's a load of BS. I said, mate, you attacked me. Sure, these two jumped in and had a crack at you, but technically I saved you because I pulled them away. And I just I just walked out of the meeting. Spargo was a bit peeved off 
and I was a bit quiet the next couple of weeks until we played Wang Rovers in the first game. Anyway, we won that game after game. Pete Smith, the public and the Sodans, he spotted me after the game upstairs at oh. Tigers with my Sodans hotel sponsored jacket on, of course. Spargo comes over and says, Pete wants to meet you. So I think the right thing to do is get him a schooner and uh, introduce myself. So I walk over and he glares at me as I approach him, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is awkward. <laughs> a life ban from his pub, try and do some sort of damage control to get Tigers back in the good books. Pete Smith, Ken, how nice to meet you. I know who you are. Awkward silence. He lets the silence linger. It seemed like half a minute. He starts laughing. He goes, I sacked that bloke a week ago. We're all sweet with Sodans again. The Tigers completed the home and away season unbeaten with a comfortable 97-point win over ninth-place Myrtleford with Darren Harris kicking six goals and Glenn Page gathering 44 possessions. Jeff Duck, Peter Wilson and Mark Duray were others to stand out. Glenn Page took out the two media awards, the Bordemail Footballer of the Year and the 3 e Player of the Year and was a firm favourite to win the Morris Medal. Aubrey won the club championship with the seconds and thirds both finishing second. The leading goal kicker was Wodonga's Brenton Cooper with 114. Darren Harris was third with 54. Aubrey Stewie Thompson won the seconds goal kicking with 54. And another Tiger, Glenn Gleeson, took out the thirds goal kicking with 63. In week one of the finals, Aubrey had the week off, but kept the momentum of the club rolling with two-point victory over Wodonga in the seconds and a 29-point win in the thirds over Wang Rovers. In the two seniors finals matches played, Wangaratta Rovers beat North Aubrey by 26 points in the elimination final, while in the qualifying final, Wodonga looked ominous in a 57-point thrashing of Wodonga Raiders. So Bunton Park was the venue for the second semi-final between Aubrey and Wodonga. The Tigers were below full strength, with Michael Buchanan hamstring, Brian Kelly ribs, Darren Harris calf, all failing fitness tests. Andrew Harrison returned from a back injury, while Lee Newton was recalled replacing Harris. On a perfect spring day and an immaculate playing surface, 4,000 spectators watched as Wodonga jumped the Tigers to lead by 10 points at quarter time. The margin could have and should have been greater at halftime when Wodonga booted two goals seven to the Tigers two goals one. Down by 16 points at the long break and having kicked just three goals, the Tigers finally stirred kicking the first three goals of the third term to hit the front. The final 10 minutes of the quarter was a ding-dong affair as both sides traded goals with Wodonga back in front by two points at the last change. The final quarter was all Wodonga, a dominated possession and on the scoreboard kicking four goals four to one goal three as the Bulldogs entered its fourth consecutive grand final. It completed a bad day for the Tigers with both the thirds and reserves being beaten. The three second semi-final losses were the exact same amount of losses in aggregate across all three grades the Tigers had experienced in 54 matches during the home and away season. In the first semi-final, Wodonga Raiders caused a huge upset, eliminating defending Premier's Wangaratta Rovers by eight points to win its first ever finals match since joining the league and set up a preliminary final clash with Aubrey at Martin Park, Wodonga. There was good news at the selection table for the Tigers, with captain Brian Kelly and Darren Harris returning, while rover Mickey Brunner was promoted for his first game of the season. Michael Buchanan failed a fitness test with his hamstring. 
Players omitted were Damian Cassidy, Lee Newton and Clint Whitsed. Brian Kelly spoke about the troublesome rib injury and its challenges. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I picked up a, um, like in one of the pre-season games, I I hurt my ribs and actually fractured a couple of ribs and then it just sort of hung around for the whole year. Would come good, get a few games and then re-injure them and it just sort of, um, yeah, really hung around for the for the whole year. So that that's it was really that one injury, you know, caused me to miss a few games at the start and then towards the end. And thanks to to Tomo, um, he suggested, you know, that we get a um get a cricket thigh pad and and tape it on. And back in those days, they were like a lump of 4B2, the cricket <laughs> thigh pads. So um was either try something like that. It just was probably three or four times that I just kept re-injuring them. Competitive work was pretty popular with Sparks too, so did you have to do it with that, I suppose, as well? Yeah, um, if you're on the track to train, you weren't excused from any of that stuff. So um, it was certainly, and it didn't matter if you were, um, if your key indicators were up on the weekend, um, if you had competitive work planned for the next week, um, it happened whether you were tackled well on the weekend or not. And looking back now, it's it's really just, a, I was just there to toss the coin, to be honest. Um, that group of players, they wouldn't have needed you know, any guidance or any, any of that type of stuff that the, you, you tend to see your leadership group do these days. The day started poorly for the Tigers, with the thirds losing by four points to Wangaratta Rovers and the seconds being eliminated by Wodonga by 43 points. Making a surprise appearance for Aubrey seconds was Jamie Stevenson, who kicked four goals in his first game in 15 weeks after a shoulder operation. So after having lost all three grades in the previous week's second semi-finals, the seconds and thirds losing preliminary finals, Aubrey supporters sunk further when Wodonga Raiders led at quarter time and then with the first two goals of the second quarter extended the lead to 25 points in front of a very vocal crowd of over 5,000. The Tigers, however, led by three Darren Harris goals in a five-minute burst, were able to kick five of the next six goals and go into half-time trailing by just two points. A few positional moves and a good old-fashioned Spargo rev-up had the Tigers take control with a five-goal-to-two third term. They took a 13-point lead into the last quarter. An early goal to Raiders' Simon Bone gave Raiders and their supporters hope. Didn't last long as Aubrey marched into the 1995 Grand Final with the next four goals for a 22-point win, with Glenn Page, Ken Howe and Mark Duray outstanding in midfield, along with Harris, who finished with seven goals. Jeff Duck and Jeremy Marston were magnificent in defence. The following evening, a packed house at the Commercial Club witnessed a triumphant night for the Aubrey Football Club, with Ruckman, Ken Howe, storming home in the final rounds to take out the Morris Medal, three votes ahead of teammate Glenn Page. Ken Howe recalls the night. Raiders in the prelim final, got away with that in the last quarter in a tough game. Had a recovery session on Monday, loading up the grand final, that's Morris Medal night, with Jezza, indoor pool, and he goes... You're the late male. I'm going, late male with who? Like, he said, oh, there's a bookie around town and you're the late male. You're going to win the medal. I went, I'd heard later that uh, Steve Prosser, the seconds coach and uh, and Aubrey Tiger, great. And Paul Spargo had a decent bet on it. He had oh. Spargo got his cut, but the bookie went, nah, this is BS when, when Pross wanted to collect as well because, you know, I, yeah, he smelled a rat. He'd, he'd also heard the late mail on myself as well. Frost never got the payout, but, but Spargo did. 
Didn't give me a cut, but anyway. I, I saw the Morris Medal Night as a distraction to the grand final. Yeah. I play in three losing GFs in a row. Losing gives you hunger. And uh, it burnt deep, and I just wanted to have a good game on Sunday. At the vote count, Pagey, Mick Frost from Miara and Simon Bain from Raiders were leading most of the count. I was sitting on about 12, you know, about four or five games to go. And it basically come down to the last game. If Pagey got three votes in the last game, we would have been equal winners. So I got about three best on grounds and a two in the last yeah. four games, something like that. So I just went, oh, did the maths. I went, oh, Pagey's going to get three because he got 55 possessions in the last game. They read the votes, set three votes out, P. Hallandale, Albury. I'm just going, what about Pagey? <laughs> and people are hugging me like, oh, Walsh, he was hugging me, choking me. I'm like, oh, look, the only thing I remember was like, you know, I was a bit surreal and from my speech, it was just sort of like, and it's no disrespect to the medal, the occasion, the league or the past yeah. winners. I just said, look, I just want to, I just want the medal this Sunday. I can share with my teammates. And that was a sort of steely determination that Spargo instilled in all of us. You know, it's not about you, and that's good. It's, yep. That's the way it should be. Now, wife Lena, actually, I took, she took a sickie to go to the uh, event that night from Wodonga Hospital, and it backfired just a little for her. She ended up with a colour photo of herself on the front page and the back page of the border mail, full colour, called into the boss's office that week. Oh, with, no. With the paper saying, please exclaim. <laughs> she said, you busted, but don't do it again. Mickey Brunner finished third in the Leo Burke medal for second grade, while Matt Collins bolted home in the thirds Leo Dean medal, with teammate Kane Aaron Duchikas third. The talking point amongst Tigers supporters leading into the grand final was focused on the fitness of star rover Michael Buchanan and would Jamie Stevenson get a recall. While Stevenson didn't come up, Buchanan did, as he explains. Last home and away game, playing Murderfoot at home, I don't know, 10 minutes ago in the game, come through the middle of the ground and tore me bloody hamstring. Yeah, I was absolutely shattered. And yeah, straight off the ground and, and straight on the ice and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I thought, oh God, there goes my finals campaign. That's what Shane Robinson, I went to him, that it was torn. But he said, you know, you've got so many weeks and we, we can do it. I guess if it wasn't for him and also the trainers down at the footy club, that wouldn't have been there on that on that day. He put a hell of a lot of work into me. He just knew his stuff and what I had to do. I was obviously put through a fair fitness test with Paul. So basically I'd come back for the grand final. Wow. Didn't play any of the finals games at all. And then obviously... I got to a stage where I could train and it was just before the grand final, I think it might have been the day before, he, t- he tested me out and put me through a fairly rigorous one as well. I managed to get through that and I felt good. It was fine and I got through the game and yeah, I was bloody wrapped, mate. And Mickey Brunner went out for me and, you know, fantastic bloke, Mick, really hard worker and, you know, same thing. But he never whinged or whined about anything and he was a great little player. You know, he was super fit, rover as well. So yeah, unfortunately for him that he missed out and, and I went back in. The first three weeks of finals action had been blessed by perfect spring weather. All that was about to change as the heavens opened up over the Lavington sports ground with sheets of water covering the ground from a huge downpour during the seconds match. It was to be one of the great grand finals on one of the not so great days. The weather kept many away but did not prevent a nail-biting contest that was brilliant for its qualities of toughness, courage and tension in front of 10,000 spectators. The skill level displayed in the conditions was at times extraordinary. The Aubrey banner had read, how to turn another page in our history. A reference to the Morris Medal Quinella and on the reverse, hear the mighty tiger roar. A 10 year hunger will be no more. The entire four quarters was a slog. 
sprinkled with moments of brilliance and endless acts of courage with just 11 goals kicked for the game, with Aubrey becoming the first side in the history of the league to kick less goals than its opponent and win the Premiership. The winning score was the second lowest in the history of an Ovens and Murray Football League Grand Final and was the Tigers' lowest score for the season. They did, however, have double the scoring shots in a contest that had the huge crowd completely captivated and engaged throughout. Aubrey led two goals two to one straight at quarter time, then Wodonga kicked three straight to Aubrey's one goal three to lead by one point at half time on a waterlogged surface. In a gripping third quarter that saw Tigers midfielder Mark Jaray yellow carded, Wodonga kicked the only goal of the third quarter, adding one goal two to the Tigers five behinds as Wodonga led by four points going into the final term. Mark Jaray recalls the send off. Yeah, it was over sort of the flank near in front of the hill and I remember sort of going from memory, going for the ball and sort of got a push in the back. They sort of then fell down and sort of ankle tapped me so I sort of got tripped as well and the whistle went and I thought, oh, the free kick here and I've turned around and he's paid it. them a free kick. I, I don't know how or what for, I mean, a drop of the ball or something, I don't know. But you know, I'd sort of spun around and when he's he paid it to them, I've, I was fuming and, you know, I called him so-and-so mm. and... Um, and he's just come charging from like 30 metres away and I've seen him going for his pocket and I'm like, couldn't get out the card quick enough. Um, you're off for abusive language. And I was like, yeah, so I was just absolutely fuming. Right at that time I was like, oh, God, I wanted the ground to swallow me up. Yeah, so I jogged off and I was just – I got to the benches and Wodonga chirping at me and like a part of me wanted to just go over there but I was like, oh, God, I'm undisciplined enough probably. And – Normally, I would have been thinking, oh, shit myself, what spa's going to kill me here? But I, honestly, I was that wild by that stage. And when I sort of got across the line, I sort of half glanced up and he actually never even looked over, didn't say one word, yeah. and which was probably good because didn't really need to say anything. I just sat there and I was just fuming for the next 15 minutes, just sitting on there and might have helped me a bit later yeah. when I got back on the ground trying to, yeah, I was just like, as soon as they said, right, you're back on, I just yeah, sprinted on and just charged in whenever I could for the last bit to try and make up yeah. for it. I think as um, Cooper was having that shot late in the last quarter, I sort of half remember thinking, geez, if he kicks this, I sort of looked over near where the hill over past the tip there thinking, if he kicks this where you beat, I might just jump that fence over the hill and no one ever <laughs> see me again. So, yeah, uh, no, nah, Sparks never said a word, but he's reminded me of it. Several, since. several times since, <laughs> don't worry about that. It didn't take long for the Tigers to hit the lead after a brilliant Travis McLean goal. Ball spills free, Richie arrives off half forward, picks it up, sneaks around a couple, swings it back onto the right for the Bulldogs inside forward 50, contest gets through, Page and Condon, oh Condon just couldn't stop himself, falls into the back of Page, so Glenn Page will take the free kick on half back. Sizes up his options. Changes his mind at the last second and goes with the barrel. Straight up the middle into the cricket pitch area. Oh, great Mark Jaray over Cordy. That took some doing. Swings around onto the right boot. Harris is a chance. Nugent in the front spot. Bounces off Harris's chest. McLean at the back. Hooks it around on the left. Clears the line. It's home. Tigers are in front in the third minute of the final quarter. Fantastic kick by Travis McLean. Perfect roving. And the Tigers hit the lead. Early doors, final quarter, great stuff for Albury. Ten minutes later, 
Tigers' Glenn Page wrote himself into Albury Football Club folklore with one of the great grand final moments. Whitaker up against Cordy. Whitaker won it down. Richie thumps it forward. Nice pick up by Jure. Back to Buchanan. Throws it on the boot inside 50. Looking for Harris. Oh, Page! Where did he come from? Out of nowhere, Glenn Page back with the flight of the ball. That is as good a mark as you will see in wet weather. The replay shows it brilliantly. And Glenn Page has a chance to give Albury some breathing space. 30 metres out, close to directly in front. Page doesn't let his teammates down. Tigers lead by 10, 11 minutes gone in the final quarter. Five minutes later, Richard Grimman gold for Wodonga to reduce the margin to four points and set up a gripping finish that had one more twist with just two minutes remaining. Coglin throws it on the left boot, inside 50. Here comes Cooper, marks it on the chest. Comes in Cooper for goal number 119. Been held to just one. He's still only got the one. The missed opportunity proved to be the Bulldogs' final chance as the Tigers moved the ball from the kick-in to half-forward where a Paul Hallandale behind left the final margin four points as the siren sounded seconds later to give Aubrey a five goals 13-43 to 6-3-39 victory in an epic contest. For Ruckman Ken Howe, it completed the perfect season winning the Did Simpson medal for best on ground to go with his Premiership medal and the Morris medal. Glenn Page, who went on to win the Tigers best and fairest with Ken Howe runner-up, was outstanding with his class and polish. Travis McLean rounded out the top three Tigers from grand final day. The victory was a wonderful tribute to the coaching of Paul Spargo, as Michael Buchanan reflected. The best thing about Paul, he was genuine, he was honest. I'd played with a lot of coaches. What he said, he he believed in. Uh, he just didn't give you a throwaway line or some bullshit line. It was about, he was a passionate person. He knew everything about the players, so he would know who my parents were or whatever. So he, he got invested with all the playing group. Um, he was so professional. He knew the opposition backwards as well. He was just a caring bloke as well. A bit like all his sons, I guess. So, But I've never seen a bloke more passionate. And you wanted to play for him. So if you've got a whole crew wanting to play for your coach, yeah, it says something special about him. So he'd get the best out of you, I guess. And it, and he would know. He'd even look at your changes for the game and find out if you're on or you're not. He just knew people, I guess. You know, if he, if he could see someone in the <laughs> – this is my opinion anyway – in the club rooms that he didn't think was quite on, he'd go over and have a chat with him or, or whatever. But he was honest as well. So if you weren't getting the, uh, getting the kick, he'd, he'd let you know. I remember how I got barreled by him one day where Spargers tore into him. He said, oh, you and your yuffy mates and all this sort of stuff. So well, we cracked up. But uh, <laughs> but it got Harrow going, though. Yeah, he just knew how to get the best out of out of how to work each, each individual as well. Like go hard on him or go a little bit easy on this guy over here. Good history. Like he played his, played his juniors and, and whatnot there. He missed out on a grand final himself. Um, Bobby played there. Digger played there as well, probably Ant as, as well. So, yeah, so the club meant a hell of a lot to him. So he was he was invested in the club, obviously. He was passionate about the club and he had family ties. There was a big family interest within the club. Paul Spargo, post-match on grand final day. Oh, I'm just elated. Words can't describe how I feel at the moment. And I'm just so proud of everyone at the footy club and uh, of the 21 players that played out there today. Uh, a phenomenal effort. Full credit to Wodonga, I mean... Uh, and to Ernie, they're a fantastic opposition and, you know, they've beaten us in three finals games and, you know, finally we've turned it around and really the one that counts. 
Oh yeah, look, it's, I'm elated and, and a lot of pressure. We said at the start of the year it was going to be, you know, a dream come true if we got here and, you know, we've had a little bit of luck, but gee, an awful lot of hard work's gone into it and, you know, I'm just proud to be associated with a club that's such hard working and, you know, if you look back two or three years ago, we were struggling and today, you know, all that work that people have put in, we've reaped the benefit. The 1995 Aubrey Tigers Premiership team. From the back line, Jeff Duck, Jeremy Masterson, Peter Wilson, halfbacks, Glenn Page, Brian Kelly, captain, Stephen Clark, centre line, Paul Hallandale, Mark Duray, Stuart Hodson. Half forwards, Ricky Allen, Matt Fowler, Dale Carroll. Forward line, Andrew Harrison, Darren Harris, Anthony Fobester. Rucks, Ken Howe, Michael Buchanan, Travis McLean. Interchange, Manny Edmonds, Corey Whitaker, Darren Howard. Emergencies, Mick Brunner, Lee Newton, Graham Turley. Coach, Paul Spargo. What about that for a story of a team who played hard on and off the field? They got the job done on what was the beginning of a very successful period for the club. Again, a huge thanks to the Joss family for making the episode possible. Well, that's it for now. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to catching you again on the glory days. Hold up. 